Hi, Guy. Hi, Matt. So, day four, two questions. Where are you? Effingham, Illinois. Okay. And how are you? I'm doing good. How about you? Well, I'm not exhausted from four days of constant driving and moving, and I've been at home with my wife and our daughter, and went running today, and it was gorgeous, but nothing like what you're doing. Um, so today was Springfield, and you're going to end in Bloomington, and Effingham is along the way. If folks skipped the recent installment yesterday, the third day of your trip, you did not golf at all yesterday because of uh, weather. Today, though, you mentioned right before we pressed record that you were sort of making up for lost time yesterday. Yes, I woke up in Springfield, Missouri. It was raining. It was in the, the mid-30s, and I'm thinking, oh, no, this could be a repeat of Friday. There might not be any golf. So uh, around, I think it was a little bit after 7.30, I had a cup of coffee, uh, had the modified hotel breakfast now, which is like grab-and-go muffins yogurt, uh, not your typical hotel breakfast anymore at these times, and went running. I did about a five-mile run on a trail called the Frisco Highline Trail, which is part of the Ozarks Greenway, and it was damp and dreary, and like I said, in the mid-30s, and the rain had just passed, and my back locked up at the end of the run. I was in shorts and just a, a light long-sleeve shirt. Uh, got in the car, got back to the hotel, showered, was thinking, what type of Springfield thing could I do in the lieu of uh, you know, golf? I found out that the Bass Pro Shop headquarters are in Springfield. Johnny Morris, his <laughs> empire started there. And I was going to go to that because they're, they're still open. And on my way to there, I saw a sign for the Bill and Kane Stewart Golf Course. So I pulled off. I was just going to go and... Uh, check it out, see what it looked like, approach it, see that the gate was open. I walked in, there was somebody working in the pro shop, there was nobody on, out on the course. I said, you open? Uh, they said, yep, we're open. So I paid, sanitized, and walked nine. It was really damp and dreary. Uh, kind of cool. They had uh, Bermuda grass. It was dormant Bermuda grass fairways, bent grass green. Uh, so it was an awesome color contrast. Uh, the first hole went fine. Second hole, a long part five. You hit a four iron bag. You can feel that, you know, in your hand when you don't hit it on the sweet spot. And it's cold out. And I'm thinking, what am I doing out here? I'm, I'm the only idiot out on this course. <laughs> and I, I, I walked up towards the green, and the coffee started kicking in. And I started warming up. I had some layers on. I had a, a stocking cap on. And I kept going, and it was a lovely uh, mid-morning round. It was the first time, Matt, I had ever played a Perry Maxwell designed golf course. Oh. Perry and Press Maxwell designed uh, what was then called Grandview Municipal Golf Course for the city of Springfield in the late 1940s. Uh, the, the, the name changed to, I'm not exactly sure when the name changed over to honor uh, Payne, the late Payne Stewart and his father, Bill. But it was my first time ever playing a Perry Maxwell designed golf course. And I is really the only actual work that I had ever seen was I, I've been at Augusta National where he, he did some work after Alistair McKenzie. Mm -hmm. uh, for those listening who don't know, Perry Maxwell is one of the renowned, he's kind of like a post-goal 
Golden Age architect. He was really one of the few bridges between the, the Golden Age people that we talk about and Robert Trent Jones and what happened in the 60s and 70s. And Perry Maxwell designed a number of gems. I drove through Tulsa, Oklahoma yesterday. Southern Hills is there. That's one of his gems. Very mm-hmm. dear to Kansas. Old Town Club in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. I, I had actually gone jogging on the perimeter of Old Town Club because that's a mile and a half from the Grayling Conference Center where the, where the, uh, the Business Institute is. So yep. I could tell that Perry Maxwell had a pretty special piece of land to work with in Winston-Salem. And I will say in uh, Springfield, he also had a special piece of land. And you could tell that it was a Perry Maxwell design. There, there weren't a lot of trees. It wasn't cluttered. The rounding was great. It was only 20 bucks to walk in on a weekend morning. The people of Springfield are really lucky to have the Bill and Tate Stewart golf course. And what a phenomenal way to start the day. Uh, like I said, Bermuda grass. So that was pretty cool to play on dormant Bermuda grass in Missouri. And the transitions up there. And it, it was awesome. I was still the only one on the course by the time I had finished, which was around. I think I teed off at like 10-10 and got done at 11.30, walking nine holes. Uh, there was one person out there, a member of the maintenance crew, who was just mowing greens on a triplex. And I, I, the maintenance facility was behind the third green and fourth tee, and then the sixth green again. And he was washing off the triplex. And I hit a shot into the, into the sixth green, and it was a nice shot. He gave me the thumbs up, so I walked over and talked to him. I didn't tell him who I was. I just said I'm driving across the country and playing a lot of golf and thanked him for his work and let him know what an awesome golf course it was and how lucky the people of Springfield are to have this Perry Maxwell design as a municipal course. He told me the superintendent's name is Mike Irvine. They have about five people on their crew, and it was a, it was a great conversation. You can see the pride in the guy. The guy you can see was from Springfield. Uh, Springfield, he knew the name of the course used to be Grandview, which I was having trouble finding on internet searches as I was walking the fairway. And told me that, you know, according to this this guy I worked, who's on the maintenance crew, said that the routing is pretty much the same as it was uh, when the course opened in the late 1940s. There had been some greens that were modified. You can tell that the greens had shrunk, and some things have happened to the golf course over time. So that, you know, bears some question. What do you do with a golf course like that? It's got a Perry Maxwell heritage. It's an affordable golf course. I mean, can you imagine if they did some restorative work there, but then you think, well, what would that cost the city? And um, how many cities and counties, especially in these times, have a couple hundred thousand or a couple million to dump into a golf course? So I thought it was perfect the way it is. Uh, like the late Pete Dye said, and everyone that we interviewed for that cover story in February, that a golf course is never done. It can always be better. Uh, of course, you know, when you're talking Perry Maxwell original work, every inclination is, hey, let's Let's go back to that. That's what a lot of outsiders would say. But I thought the whole thing worked beautifully. It was a great morning. Uh, the golf course honors Kane Stewart, who we mentioned last night. He was one of two major champions from the Springfield, Missouri area. So is Horton Smith, the, the winner of the mm-hmm. first Masters. And Matt, how coincidental is this? I was actually thinking about this when I was walking the fairways. So two weeks ago, I was hiking solo on the Pacific Crest Trail Trail at the Walker Pass Junction in the California High Desert. And as I hike, I listen to a lot of podcasts. And I was listening to one of Connor Lewis's Golf History podcasts, and the guest was uh, Kevin Robbins, the author of the book that was released last year, The Last Stand of Kane Stewart. Oh, yeah. And he recorded recorded with Connor for about an hour and a half talking about the book and the life of Kane Stewart. I need to get my hands on that book. And 
you know, 2019, the book came out, which was the 20th anniversary of Kate Stewart tragically dying in that plane crash. So here I am, you know, that, that, that podcast had me thinking a lot about Kate Stewart. And two weeks later, I'm playing a golf course in his hometown named after him. And this gets really uh, crazy, too. So then on my drive uh, from Springfield to Rolla, Missouri, which we'll get into a second golf stop of the day, I'm listening to, to a No Laying Up podcast with Hal Sutton. And Hal Sutton was on that 1999 Ryder Cup team that Pink Dirt was on that had the uh, the epic Ryder Cup matches with Ben Crenshaw's captain with the European team at the Country Club in Brookline. You know, some people say that's one of the most memorable, uh, not only Ryder Cups of all time, but golf events of all time. And Hal Sutton was telling the Pink Dirt stories on the podcast, too. So Pink Dirt is kind of in my mind for the, uh, the last two weeks, and he was prominent on my mind today. And it was cool to play a golf course. In his honor, in the clubhouse, there, were, there was a plaque for him, some memorabilia. There was like an old cutout of one of his old promotional things he did for, I believe, uh, I'm not sure, one of the equipment companies sitting there. Uh, so that that was really, really uh, special to play that Perry Maxwell designed golf course in the name of a golfer who I grew up watching and who I, uh, you know, found fascinating here in the last few weeks, I'm definitely going to order uh, Kevin Robinson's book when I, when I get home, and we can add that to our golf course industry bookshelf. The growing bookshelf. It's a bookcase. Yeah, and there really haven't been any book purchases on this trip, Matt. Because no. I, I, I'm not sure there are many open bookstores in America right now, and it just hasn't been time to, to do too much besides uh, drive and you know stop and maybe do a run or play golf. Yep, and this is your uh, unpaid early promotion, not an actual commercial. Support independent bookstores. Find your local independent bookstore if you're trying to find something to read during all of this. Keep them in business, and a lot of them are delivering. So support your local independent bookstore if they are doing that. Um, So you played Bill and Payne. You played your nine holes there. You had a great conversation with a member of the grounds crew. Walked your nine, your typical brisk nine. Hop back in the car. Where'd you go next? So I stopped at Oak Meadow Country Club, a private golf course in Rolla, Missouri. And people are probably wondering, how do I determine what golf courses I'm stopping at? It is completely random. (laughs) Basically, I get get on the road, uh, get some miles under me, and see what's close to the interstate. I noticed that Oak Meadow was only a few miles off of Interstate 44. Uh, Pulled into the parking lot, there were maybe four or five cars there. Everybody was on the back nine. So I was able to pay, sanitize, and go to the first tee. And this was a course from what I could gather on the website. It was designed, I think, in the late 1950s. So this is about 10 years after the, the Bill and Kate Stewart golf course. Uh, it was a hilly golf course. Rolla is a town of about 15,000 people. You can tell that this is a bit of a social hub. They actually had a fire pit going on outside, just I think to keep warm. Anyone that was hanging out in that area or working in the pro shop get to the first tee. You can tell it was a hilly golf course, the first hole downhill. And this was pretty cool. So played on dormant Bermuda grass hmm. in the morning. And this was Doja grass coming out of dormancy at, at Oak Meadow. I uh, saw something pretty fascinating. So the second and third holes were par threes that played over water back-to-back. You talk about really, really uh, difficult start to a golf 
I noticed a plaque by the tee box, and it was named after the uh, gentleman who designed the lake there, and it said something like, he's responsible for all the, for your lost golf ball. <laughs> so I thought that was funny, and that's one other thing I really noticed at the Bill and Kate Stewart Golf Course and at Oak Meadow. I don't know if it's a Missouri thing or the two places that I, I, I play, played at to begin this day, that they like to dedicate things on golf courses in Missouri. Uh, the Bill and Kate Stewart Golf Course had a brick wall on the 18th grade, I noticed, with a lot of dedication to you know, different people in town. Here they had that lake dedicated to the, the creator of it. They had uh, wooden benches at Oak Meadow that looked like they were from reused trees on the golf course. They were donated in people's names. They had, uh, I'd never seen this before, but I actually sent a text message to our friend Matt Pauly at Standard Golf. Mm -hmm. He's obviously seen it, but all the flags and key markers had a corporate sponsor on them. So I guess that's a potential way to, to boost revenue at your golf course. Also, there was a corporate sponsor in every key marker. You, you see that sometimes at these community golf courses in small towns. But Oak Meadow was very, uh, very hilly. Uh, I played the front nine. There were some dog lake holes. Very, very uh, enjoyable walk. I think I got done with that in like an hour and 14 minutes. And I, I, and I actually had an incident on, my, on the first hole where my, uh, my, uh, one of my head covers fell off, one of my tiger head covers, not because of Tiger Woods, I'm an Auburn Tigers fan. Fell off, and I noticed it when I was like 230 yards down the fairway that was back at the tee box. So I uh, I sprinted to the tee box, got the head cover, sprinted back to where my ball was in the fairway. Uh, that probably cost me about two minutes on the on the time of that round, two and a half minutes, whatever it took to do that that, that trot. But no, it was cool, and you know you can see the semi-private course. It was a municipal course this morning, so a bit of a different situation, a bit of a different business model. Uh, there were a lot of uh, members at this course, and they weren't out today. Uh, they did have golf carts out. There were some people playing. There was one person to a golf cart. And I noticed that the uh, we had this conversation off the air that on Wednesday at Silver Cliffs, we had pink foam in the cups. At Hidden Cove, on Thursday, we had green foam in the cups. And I believe off the air, man, I said to you, <laughs> oh, well, there's foam in the cups. On Saturday, if I have a chance to play golf, it's going to be blue foam. That's what I put my money on. Well, they had blue foam in the, the cups, so you just weren't digging into them at Oak Meadow. And something else interesting happened. Uh, the eight holes along par five, uh, uphill. I get off the green, and I see a, uh, a club. Somebody left their wedge out there, and I'm like, what do you do? Like, like with the whole, you don't want to contact what other people touch, but it's in the etiquette of the game. If you see a club on the course, to bring it to the pro shop and let the uh, person working in the pro shop know where you found them. So I, I what I did was I, I left my golf club on. Uh, I, I put the, uh, the pitching wedge, the big bird, the pitching wedge into my bag. And as I got off nine, I went to the pro shop and I, I kept my glove on the whole time and handed it to them in the pro shop. And hopefully, uh, if you're playing Oak Meadow Country Club in Rolla, Missouri on April 4th, 
and you just said, what the heck, just make it a 27 whole day? Yep, so I looked at my phone, golf, there's, there's a golf nearby function on Apple Maps, wanted to find something that was not too far off of Interstate 44, so I was really, really getting the urge again. I'm like, how many times am I going to get to do this? No regrets, right, Matt? This might be the only time that sure. I ever take a trip like this. I, I didn't get to play any golf on Friday. Uh, it was actually getting into the low to mid-40s at that point. There was no wind, so for me, coming from northeast Ohio, that's pretty good golf weather. That's something that's not intolerable if you're from the south or the transition zone, like the 30 is. Maybe you think that's not a day you want to go out and play golf. But I actually like kind of going out on the damp, dreary days where the temperatures are in the high 30s to low 40s because I know that the golf courses aren't going to be sprouted and that I can handle the cold weather so I can actually play quicker. So I, I do the golf nearby and, uh, and type in, and I'm about maybe 20 to 20 miles outside St. Louis point the west suburbs and South Pedley Farms. So I'm like, okay, two miles up the interstate. I'll, I'll go check this out. I get off the interstate, go up a hill, start seeing some you know, four or five, six hundred dollar homes, maybe even more than that. Pull in, see a nice cave parking lot, see about eight cars in there, see a bunch of carts lined up, see a nice clubhouse. And I realized that this is a completely contrasting golf experience to any of the other ones I've had on the trip. So, Pebbly Farms opened in 1998 on a, a former dairy farm. It's very expansive property in the St. Louis suburb. So, I go to the club, clubhouse and I'm thinking, what am I going to do? And I asked them, you know, and this was around 5 o'clock, 4.30. I said, hey, can I get on and play nine? And they said, sure. I said, uh, can I walk nine? They go, you can, but not many people do it. I said, okay, well, you know, what was one of my rules, Matt? Why am I blanking on your rules? Walk? I said no. I was only going to walk. Oh, but yeah, it was I realized walk. that I was in a high-end daily feed course. There's some houses there. Built in the late 1990s. Time for us for time because you can tell that I was going to be the last one on the course. I didn't want to keep anyone working their heart. Late. and also I needed to get on with this trip. This is a complete bonus golf at this point. So I decided to get, take a cart because I just knew it would get me through there quicker. Uh, it was a it was a fun experience, completely contrasting, like I said, to the, the four actually the six other golf experiences I had. If you go back to when I landed in California two and a half weeks ago at Rustin Canyon, and then played Charter Golf Club golf course two years two weeks ago, and then the uh, the courses here on this drive home. Designed by, and Matt, this is another coincidence, uh, whose golf course architecture firm did we visit about five weeks ago? Gosh, has it been five weeks ago that we visited uh, yep. Sean and Steve? And, and uh, obviously Art's not doing a lot there anymore. Yep, this was an Arthur Hills design. Wow. 
cut off the, um, the sixth green and looked behind that in the seventh tee. You saw some horses, farmland. Uh, you also saw some very uh, big suburban homes. There was a railroad line that goes through there, some water features. You know, it was the golf course where if I would have walked it, even playing at the pace I did at the Bill and Tate Stewart golf course and, and Oak Meadow, it would have taken me at least two hours to walk it, even oh, wow. if I first walked just because the holes were designed far apart from each other. There was a lengthy drive between the first and second hole between the eighth and ninth holes. There were some great views. Uh, you know, the, the, the turf conditions were, were outstanding. And this was interesting because some of the measures that are going on to limit the amount of touching and contact on golf courses were taken to another level here. There were no flags in and raised cups, Matt. So hmm. okay. it was kind of interesting get to the first fairway and you're like, what the heck's going on? And then it hit me. I'm like, okay, I, I've seen on social media that some golf courses are even removing flags. And this was one of them that had done that. And you kind of just hit in the middle of the green and trust your yardage. But <laughs> the thing that made it interesting was you, you couldn't tell what the wind was doing. Or, you know, I'm trying to breathe sure. through it. I'm not putting a lot of thought into any of my shots on this trip. It's kind of hit and go. I'm not really reading putts. I'm not going to the practice screen and hitting some putts. I'm not even really taking practice swings get up to the ball and hit it, and I, you know, I, I didn't even realize until I got about to, to the eighth hole of par three where I, you know, 195 yards, and I usually hit my three with 220 yards, I, I ripped it and left it 15 yards short, and I know that things weren't carrying today because of the whole damn conditions, but I'm like, what's going on here? And then I'm like, okay, there was no flag. I couldn't really tell what was going on with the wind, but I, I it was, you just shoot at the center of the green. Some of the fairways you could tell where the raised cup was. Some of them you couldn't. And it was an interesting way to play golf. And I'm not sure that I played golf without flagging that since maybe my caddy days. Where on Monday, sometimes they didn't have flags out. You're playing uh, late afternoon on that uh, on that, that Monday where they let employees play. Maybe they didn't have the flags out. So that was probably the first time since uh, my teenage years that I played golf without flag in and it was very interesting and you know three different courses today three different ways to handle the cup it was kind of like an inverted cup at the at the uh the bill of Tate stewart golf course the foam at oak Meadow, and then the uh, race cups at pepley farms so a very special day i didn't stop and see any sites besides the golf courses i guess i did that trail run in the morning didn't stop to see the arch in St. Louis. I don't even know if that trail or that park's open. I'm guessing it probably isn't. Well, it's a national and park, I so no. I, I didn't feel as bad about not seeing any of the St. Louis sites because in 2018, in August, I was at the PGA Championship at Delray Country Club and mm-hmm. get to uh, run the Gateway Arch and got to see St. Louis Country Club and our friend Joe Walker, Walker at at Glen Echo Country Club, and of course had a great time with Carlos Osorea mm-hmm. and the, the Bell Reef crew, so that brought back fond memories of that trip in 2018, which was, you want to say it was the last PGA Championship played in August, but who knows, <laughs> everything being delayed this year, maybe the PGA Championship going back to August again. Lots still up in the air, I know you aren't keeping up with, uh, with the news. The... I, I did read some golf news, I actually, I did pick up Springfield news leader in the hotel lobby, but I, I, I didn't look at A1 or the front page and put the sport. And there was a story uh, about when golf tournaments might be 
And there was some talk in that article, actually, about the PGA Championship being in August at TBC Harding Park in San Francisco. Of course, this is all a guessing game right now. And the article mentioned the possibility of a November Masters evening. So, uh, of course, I, I guess I had a little Augusta National connection today playing a Perry Maxwell designed golf course. And, and Perry Maxwell's Cross Maxwell helped him with uh, – Bill and Payne Stewart golf course and formerly Grandview. So it was a unique day. Three of those golf courses. I can't wait to see Steve Forrest and Sean Smith again and tell them that I had a chance to randomly play at Cuddly Farms. All three golf courses had me wondering what the back nines are like. Sometimes the back nines are a little bit more dramatic than front nines. I guess it just all depends on the land and what the uh, architects and owners and developers are trying to do. I could tell Pebbly Farms that there were some pretty dramatic holes on the back side from the glimpses that I got. The maintenance worker that I bumped into at the uh, Bill and Payne Stewart golf course told me that the back nine and Intermediate is even a better piece of land than the front nine that I experienced. So, you know, that's kind of the odd thing. You know that you have to stop after nine because you want to get going and, 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 and take off some miles driving and see the next next golf course. So who knows if I'll ever get back to these golf courses. There's probably a better chance of me back to Missouri than there is some of the remote parts of Arizona that I was in where I played some golf on Wednesday, Thursday. Well, yeah, just proximity. The uh, The point I was going to make on you not keeping up with the news, the news today, and there actually was some sports news. This is Saturday, April 4th. We're recording this. Uh, Donald Trump, around noon, had a call, I guess a conference call, with a bunch of the major sports commissioners. And Roger Goodell of the NFL and Rob Manfred of Major League Baseball and uh, Gary Bettman of the NHL, Adam Silver of the NBA. But Jay Monahan and Michael Wan of the PGA and the LPGA Tour were both on the call. So there was that, obviously the... Well, that's kind of inter- hey, go ahead, well, sir. That's kind of interesting, sorry to interrupt, yeah. that you bring up Mike Wan because I was binge listening to some No Laying Up podcast on the drive today. And after the House Sutton podcast, there was one with Mike Wan talking about huh. the logistics of uh, potentially putting an LPGA schedule together. So sorry to interrupt. No, you no. There, well, and and you and I have talked about this, obviously off the air, and and even for for going weeks back, is my thought. I'm I'm a bit of a pessimist that there will be fans this year, and I guess one of the points that was on the call today was that Donald Trump hopes to have fans back at events by August or September. I think that's a little uh, ambitious. But there apparently was a report today as well related to this that the NBA is working on televising remote games of horse where players shoot trick shots at their at their home gyms, their home courts, whatever you want to call it, and that is televised to the masses. We had talked about home run derbies, obviously, as a potential uh, those were on in the 50s and 60s. Again, very little person-to-person contact for now. And we had talked about golf, whether it's match play or empty course tournaments. Uh, there's obviously the, the Phil and Tiger event going on uh, in, in plans with uh, Tom Brady and Peyton Manning. They could be ridiculous and fun. But there, it is not out of the realm of possibility to at least have some semblance of these events, maybe with a smaller field for logistics, and televise it, but just not with the galleries, not with the crowds. Yeah, this is kind of 
overall a guessing game right now, man. Sure. But I've covered a lot of sports in my sports writing days, and so have you. And now we're involved in the, the golf industry, and I've been involved with golf since the uh, 1994. My father competed the U.S. Open at Oakmont. And my guess would be that golf would be one of the first to get rolling because it's one where there's a lot of distance between the competitors. You could have a lot of distance between the uh, volunteers and the mm-hmm. officials that you need out there, and you could have a lot of distance between the, the camera operators and the announcers that you need out there. So my guess would be that when sports are ready to go again, that you'll see golf maybe out there before some of the other contact-type sports. I would think so. Uh, anything where, where whole teams are, are touching the same piece of equipment like basketball or even baseball, certainly football, are a lot tougher to control. Golf, tennis, a little easier. Uh, if folks have not been keeping up to date, pro wrestling has been going on the, this entire time uh, taped in front of empty arenas. Uh, and I think WrestleMania is actually on tape going on right now as we record this, the first of two nights, so... Uh, there are certainly a lot of interesting developments and templates being used. And I think you're right. I think golf is going to be, if not the first sport sport, because, you know, wrestling is scripted entertainment. It's still athletic pursuit. But I think golf is going to be the first actual sport probably to come back in any real proximity to, to what it normally is. And how cool would it be if there were some made-for-TV uh, shells, wonderful world of golf-style matches going on right now still all these contact gaps. I would actually turn on a TV to watch those if they were able to somehow pull them off here with not any of the scheduled sporting events going on. There's definitely uh, an opportunity for golf, if this drags on for a few more months, to provide some type of sports content that people haven't been able to see because you just look at the nature of the game, and you can go the entire time without touching your competitor. Mm-hmm. You don't need to touch your caddy. There's really no touching or contact on a golf course between competitors. You can distance yourselves on the walk down the fairways. I mean, I've played uh, you know, five, nine-hole rounds on this drive home and haven't even been within probably 800 yards of another person. And the only people I've really seen at golf courses were people working in pro shops. And you know what? We're going to take this opportunity, Matt, to thank everybody working on a golf course right now. Oh, my gosh, yes. People that are, from, from the people that we deal with, the golf course superintendents and their teams, uh, still going out there and maintaining golf courses. And a lot of them right now are nowhere near being fully staffed. You know, their golf course is being maintained right now. Just a superintendent, an assistant, maybe a mechanic. And, you know, from the people that are working in the pro shop that do have to have contact with the golfers and at Pebbly Farms, the moment you got off the cart, you dropped it off on the clubhouse, and there were, there were two young women there just washing it down and sanitizing the heck out of it right away. So, you know, to these people that are going out and working on the golf courses in states where you're still able to have consumer golf, you know, thank you to all of us and to all the other people, you know, for me and from all the other people that are going out and enjoying the, this form of recreation now where a lot of the um, traditional form recreation are going and one thing i did notice at pebbly farms on my drive in i i passed like a uh, a county park or a metro park operated in the, in the st louis jurisdiction and 
it had a gate on it, and it was closed, so you couldn't get into the park. But a mile up the road, you could go and have outdoor recreation and golf course. So golf hmm. courses are open right now, but parks aren't even open in some parts of the country. Yeah. And you and I have both talked with superintendents around the country. I'm wrapping up a story that'll it'll be up online before this episode airs, so uh, about courses that were scheduled to hold televised events and and obviously those didn't happen and the the emotions and the reactions and how you move forward and it's interesting in talking with different superintendents there have been some who have had to let go lay off a pretty significant chunk of their staff and that hurts there have been a lot of courses where hours have been reduced Uh, there have been courses where guys are coming in but at different shifts and so your whole work schedule changes. Uh, there have been some that I've talked with who have just business as usual. Like they haven't had to cut back hours. They haven't had to lay anybody off. And I actually talked with one superintendent uh, who I consider a, a good friend. Uh, and we talk about baseball a lot too. But he has not had to lay off anybody. He's got a significant staff, um, multiple courses that he's looking at. He hasn't had to lay anybody off, and he hasn't really necessarily reduced hours from a pay perspective. He's had to send guys home, but the company that owns the courses is actually paying all of the workers to stay home, I think, through the end of May, which is a, a just a tremendous, tremendous thing. Uh, so he's working with fewer people because there's fewer people on the course, but the fact that none of his guys were let go and they're all being paid to not work uh, for at least the next seven weeks was just, I, I hadn't heard that, and that was just tremendous. Yeah, big props to that company. I think I know who the superintendent you're talking about is, and we won't give much away, but he's been through some horrific situations and has gotten through them, so he is certainly an industry leader that maybe not as many people know about. Correct know about in a place that's a little bit disconnected from the mainland United States. I think you know exactly who I'm talking about, yep. <laughs> I can't wait to read that story. We won't give too much away, but I know you're going to do a great job with it. And you bring up a good point about the tournament golf and the emotion of these places not having tournaments right now and one being canceled. And you got to look at it this way. With some of the Champions Tour, European Tour places, uh, it's the regularly scheduled ones that, that are that recur on an annual basis right now that aren't going to have their tournament this year, and that stings. But some of these venues, they got their chance to host the event last year, and the show will come to town again next year when things are rolling again. The ones that you would really feel bad about would be the ones like maybe Linkfoot or TPC Harding Park right. or or a Champions Golf Club in Houston where they're doing U.S. Women's Open, these ones where it's a one-shot deal this year and they may never get a, a chance to host something like that again, the superintendent and that crew, those are the ones that you really hope they find room for on the schedule. Although I, I did see a, uh, in my email a news release from the USGA that now they're going to play the U.S. Women's Open in mid-December at Champions Golf Club in Houston. Chris Ortmeyer is the director there. Uh, I had a chance to play that golf course a few years ago at the NGA meeting, and that is a absolute perfect time to schedule the U.S. Women's Open. I think it's on the same weekend that the President's Cup was on uh, in, in 2019, 
that's that weekend, you know, and who knows how all the schedules are going to be, but that's on that weekend after all the college football championship games and before the NFL playoffs, and that's a great weekend when you're talking about uh, getting exposure to women's golf and the LPGA and the great players that are, are out there. I would bet that the uh, U.S. Women's Open, if everything goes off as planned now in mid-December, will have more eyeballs on it than if it were in late May when it was regularly scheduled two weeks before the U.S. Open. December 9th through 13th, I just looked it up, and yep. I know I was scheduled to That's go down there. That's a weekend for that. Yeah. That'll be a humongous showcase for women's golf and our friend Chris Ortmeyer at Champions Golf Club. So, you know, bravo to the USGA for uh, picking that date, and hopefully it's able to be played. Yeah, I know I was and scheduled. It'll be a little more tolerable. Well, mid-December will be a little more tolerable in Houston. Than oh, my gosh. Too. Yeah, you had scheduled me to go down there at the end of this month originally so i guess i'll go down on december 7th and 8th now so there we go if yep. that's still on yeah, and it'll be interesting because uh, that's still show season and industry event season mm-hmm. and, you know we'll have to get i know we're kind of talking on air we were gonna send you down and you were gonna really give that event some great coverage and we'll have to think about what we're gonna do with that because that's gonna be an awesome time to have it in a much better growing condition in conditions in Houston, Texas than in late May. Yeah. To circle back from the second week of December through May back to the first week of April and to where you are right now, we've talked about your 27 holes today. Uh, we've talked about some other stuff going on around the country I'm curious, as you're winding down this road trip, you've got a couple hours still ahead of you, and then obviously all day tomorrow, but tomorrow's going to be a short drive from Bloomington, Indiana, to Northeast Ohio. This is your last long day. Where are you just mentally and physically at this point? You've been driving for four straight days and and pretty much in in isolation, pretty much by yourself. Uh, I'm doing great. I'm worried about the people that have more pressing issues going on in the world than I do. I, I feel great. This is certainly an opportunity to be able to take a trip like this. And it's really going to be special tonight. I'm not going to really know what's going on. I'm just going to go tell. But tomorrow, I'm going to go running around the Indiana University campus in the morning, which is where I went to school. Mm-hmm. We mentioned on our last episode that I haven't been back to Bloomington, Indiana. So I'm going to go by my old house and uh, the old journalism school and the student union and the the radio station. Who knows, maybe some of those buildings aren't even there. And that will be really, I think, emotional and special for me because there were a lot of good memories in college, but I moved on from college so quick because my first year of college was in Williamsport, Pennsylvania, which is a good
entirely sure how. I don't want to mention it on the air during this episode, but I'll I'll tell you after we record. And I guess people have to listen to the uh, last episode to figure out how that morning and early afternoon in Bloomington, Indiana went. Yeah, and if you've made it to this point in the series with us, my original plan was to have one really long episode and then guy and i started talking and i thought well maybe we can split it into two and then it was during the recording of the third episode and i was like ah this is a week-long series so if you've made it this long congratulations to getting to part four of the greens with envy bonus series yep thanks for listening everybody and maybe tomorrow we'll get into the logistics like how uh, you can't really eat a meal road trip like this when all the sit-down restaurants are closed uh why clementines are one of the <laughs> travel foods. Uh, yeah, we'll get into some of the logistics to fresh physically when you're doing something like this. So, yeah, thanks for listening to this part of it. And Matt, thanks for uh, all you've done setting these up and recording them. And I know you've gone out of your way to, to uh, make this uh, as easy as possible to record these. And hopefully we put something together that our listeners and followers Yeah, it's been fun, and I hope you stay tuned for part five tomorrow when Guy waxes poetic about Indiana University, and we talk about the logistics of road trips, both when the country is relatively open, like when I took mine, and as Guy mentioned, when it's not open at all, and it's much tougher logistically to drive 2,400 miles across most of the country. Uh, we can wrap up.